Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Big Mood, Little Mood with Danny Lavery. I am the aforementioned Danny Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Kyle Turner, a queer freelance writer based in Brooklyn, New York. Heard of it? He's a contributor to Paste Magazine and his writing on film and culture have been featured in The Village Voice, GQ, Slate, Vanity Fair, and The New York Times. He is relieved to know that he is not a golem. Uh, Kyle, I didn't realize that that was in question. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just got to double check that you're not like, uh, holy rabbinical clay, you know. How did you determine that? Do, do you want the real answer or the fake answer? I didn't even know this was a, a problem that you had, so I didn't even realize there'd be a, a distinction between a real and a fake answer. Can I have both? Okay, the the fake answer is that uh, sometimes I feel parts of myself are just falling off because they have not been properly kilned, if you will. But the real answer is uh, one of the movies that made me fall in love with film writing was Stranger Than Fiction with Will Ferrell and Maggie Gyllenhaal. And there's a section in the film where uh, Will Ferrell is consulting with a literature professor played by Dustin Hoffman. And he's trying to figure out what story he is in because he keeps hearing this narrator, the voice of Emma Thompson in his head. And they do process by elimination. And one of the things that um, Dustin Hoffman says is, well, you're not a golem. Aren't you relieved to know that you're not a golem? Um, And uh, Will Ferrell deadpans, yes, I'm relieved to know that I'm not a golem. That sounds like it's one of those lines where I can hear him saying it in my head. Yeah, it's perfect. It's like a a really lovely line reading and sort of encapsulates the um, sort of absurdity of the situation. All I remember learning from that movie was that uh, a woman baker is called a Baxter. Um, I don't remember that. Because if memory serves, Maggie Gyllenhaal plays the Baxter. She is a baker. And also oh, a woman yes, at the yes, same yes. time. And, and the term for that is a Baxter, which I find both charming and totally pointless. Like, why on earth you would need a separate word for it? And then on top of that, why it wouldn't be something goofy like Bakeress, which seems to follow like gendered conventions that I'm familiar with. I just, I don't know. I mm-hmm. liked it. It seems like unnecessary, impractical, uh, nonsensical Baxters. Also, it's yeah. a, like it's a, it's a guy's name. So e- there's an even weirder level of like a lady baker. She's a Baxter. She's a Baxter. She's not the baker's wife as she may have been in um, Into the Woods, regardless of whether she would be married or not. But my favorite part of her baking scene is when she and Will Ferrell have their meet cute and he is works at the IRS and she says get bent tax man and just throws a bunch of dough at him it's a great line it's yeah. a fabulous line 
Well, gendered nomenclature based on your job aside, uh, I'm excited <laughs> to answer a couple of questions with you today. Uh, and I'm hoping you'll read our first one as the you know resident expert in the sexuality. <laughs> um, well, first of all, just thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, but the first letter, um, subject, gay or nay, question mark. How can you tell if you're attracted to men? I always assumed I was bisexual, but a friend recently told me she could feel sexually attracted to men she didn't know, like hot men on the bus. And I can't imagine that. My counselor says excitement and fear are hard to distinguish, and I'm following the patterns with men that I was groomed to with uh, CSA. But I don't know how to separate that from actual attraction. It doesn't feel complicated with women or non-binary people I find myself attracted to, but I don't have a history of abuse with them. Sometimes I think about saying I'm a lesbian, and it feels like relief, but also disingenuous when I've willingly engaged with men before. I know trauma doesn't make you a lesbian, and I don't want to insult the community like that. What counts as real attraction? So lots, lots here, some of mm. which uh, I am inclined to find, like, productive, some of which I'm inclined to be a little skeptical of, and some of which I also want to be, um, you know, uh, gentle around, especially because this letter writer has talked about, like, experiencing uh, child sexual abuse uh, mm. and and kind of dealing with the fallout from that. So I'm going to try to balance all those things as well as I can. Do you think that there's any place, like, are, are there any one of these questions that feel most important to you to answer first? Um, I mean, the thing, one of the things that that comes to mind is with the awareness and recognition of how uh, trauma does shape one's identity and the one the way that uh, in which one relates to the sexuality, I don't think that one needs to necessarily adhere to these rigid or narrow ideas of what a lesbian is or what a bisexual person is. Um, I think what matters more ultimately is what lesbianness or what bisexualness, so to speak, means to that particular person. I don't. I am of the opinion that one's past sexual history does not necessarily negate the the identification and the cultural connection that one feels with a particular identity. Yeah, you know, I, I feel so like, you know, I think letter writer, I've said things like this in the past, but what seems to me to be important here is using language that serves you as a person rather than trying to make sure your own like life and choices and commitments line up neatly with the most appropriate label. So mm -hmm. to me, I think the concern about how do you tell if you're attracted to men, is there like a single definitive final test that I could administer to myself to prove what I am and always have been and always will be? That strikes me as like kind of an unnecessary burden of proof. And mm -hmm. sometimes I think, especially around lesbianism, people can get really concerned about like, I might fail a litmus test as if lesbianism in particular needs to be structured primarily around like exclusion, testing, purity, perfection. There's a lot of different reasons why that might be, some of which have to do with lots of like bioessentialism, some of which have to do with whiteness, some of which have to do with both. Um, but so I would just really encourage you, letter writer, if it's interesting to you to think about potential ways of experiencing attraction to or interest in men, 
because you think that that would bring you greater pleasure or freedom or fun, that's great. And if you think of it in terms of, I would like to call myself a lesbian that feels satisfying and useful and true, but I'm worried that I would be like, I don't know, somebody in a zombie movie who'd secretly been bitten by a zombie and that zombie is bisexuality and I'm covering up the wound on my arm and they're letting me into lesbian island where everyone is safe from the zombies. But if I turn, then I'll infect and kill everyone there. Then I would encourage you not to worry about such things and to simply sit with, I like the word lesbian. It's meaningful to me. I would like to date women. That's my plan. That's good. Right. And I also hope that this letter writer is able to surround themselves with a community that would be accepting of whomever they're attracted to or whatever their uh, proclivities are. It sounds very sentimental and cliched, but I understand that even in a lot of contemporary, you know, LGBTQ spaces, that there can be this this myopic perspective. But I am hoping, I would hope that in 2022 that we are like moving past that and really confronting the thorniness of one's sexual interests and, and histories, uh, how unruly sexual attraction can be. And I'm glad that this person is speaking with a counselor because one of the things that they write about is sort of the difficulty in parsing out between or delineating between fear and attraction. And I hope that they're able to sort of articulate and and be able to name those things and be able to engage with them in a productive way. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would just say like, you know, letter writer, while there certainly are the occasional uh, like really intense person who's like, oh, you call yourself a lesbian, eh? Well, please first hand me like a dossier of everyone you've ever kissed or thought about sexually so that I can review it and determine whether or not you pass my test. Those people are annoying at best um, and they are foolish and you do not have to worry about pleasing them. If it would suit you and your purposes to call yourself lesbian, you should do it. It's free. It's legal. It's easy. Um, Go for it. You know, I'd like to quibble a little bit with that line about it doesn't feel complicated with women or non-binary people I'm attracted to. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. again, not to like be like, oh, that's a jerky thing to say. I would just, you know, sometimes people say women and non-binary people as a sort of shorthand for women and people that I round up to women. And, you know, again, that's like, that's not a hate crime. That's not the worst thing in the world. Other people are free to respond to that kind of statement as they see fit. But, you know, uh, I, I think, as always, it's useful to remember that non-binary is an incredibly broad category um, that mostly just tells you a little bit about what someone doesn't see themselves as and can be followed by almost any kind of like expression beyond that. So, again, not the not the highest thing on my list, but I did just want to flag that. Um, I'm glad you flagged that because um, the writer Davy Davis was a novel um, coming out called X, um, has written in some of uh, the tweets about the terminology, the gender terminology that people tend to use as opposed to being more specific about um, whether people like softness or hardness. Um, and that gender, even in, um, even in gradually more progressive spaces, is still being sort of conflated with genitalia. Um, as opposed to being able to um, really zero in on 
the more descriptive parts that people find pleasurable about the body. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of like useful thought and writing. I, I, I also like Davy Davis's writings a lot. Um, so I think that that's really useful and interesting too. And I don't even know what exactly I would suggest here other than just like, you know, use concrete language where you can, or, um, you know, consider, uh, why you might, you know, what, 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 what potential value might there be in like decoupling the idea of non-binary people as a category from women? Like, do they need to go hand in hand? Um, and if so, why? Um, but yeah, it's not like, oh, you really need to reevaluate your choices there. It's just like. It's a little bit of a bugbear for me. But back to the sort of larger questions at hand. You know, you got a friend who says that she's sometimes attracted to hot guys on a bus. And you say, I can't really imagine feeling that way. That's fine. You're just also like allowed to have a different experience with people on the bus than your friend does. That doesn't necessarily mean that your friend is the control group for bisexuality and that this sort of like barrier for true bisexuality is if you get on the bus and you see a hot man and a hot woman, you're like, I would awooga both of you. And in fact, (laughs) if I'm, you know, exactly eight feet away from both of you, I will be unable to move due to my true bisexuality. I'm like trapped between two magnets. Um, I think sometimes people get really caught up in this idea of like, I can't get attracted to someone until I know them to such and such a degree or somebody else says that they can and I don't have that experience. So are we totally different kinds of people? I don't find that kind of distinction especially valuable. Others do. Um, I guess I would just say like, it's more interesting and important to think about your own patterns of attraction and interest in others rather than trying to like rigidly codify it in terms of like, I have to know someone X number of months or Y number of ways before I can think about whether I might be attracted to them just because so much of that is so hypothetical that it feels like it's not going to move you in a direction of like really clarifying what you do want so much as like setting up increasingly like arcane rules. So if you don't, you know, uh, get attracted to random Hawkeyes on the bus, that is not a problem. Um, and, and neither does it like disqualify you from any of the potential identities that you're interested in. You know, there are bisexual people who never go on the bus at all. There are mm-hmm. bisexual people who, you know, tend not to be attracted to people until they've gotten to know them. Um, There are people who have that tendency, but then, you know, one day there's an exception. Um, Again, it's really just about figuring out what works for you and what doesn't not. I have to pass the hot stranger on a bus test or else I have to leave this, this swimming pool. Right. It could be a swimming pool or, or it could be a a Walmart for, there are no rules. Although hot men on a bus does sound like a TV show. It does, it does. Yeah, you know, your counselor says excitement and fear are hard to distinguish. I guess I'm curious, letter writer, when your counselor said that, did that ring true? Did that feel like, wow, now that you say that, I have oftentimes in my life thought I was excited and then later decided I was scared or vice versa or often feel sort of frozen in a moment where I can't distinguish between the two? Did it feel like the kind of thing that sort of sounded deep and so you didn't really know how to argue with it, but didn't necessarily uh, resonate, as they say? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm aware that lots of feelings can sometimes resemble other feelings, but I guess I would just say that I'm curious. Your your counselor said that. Do you buy it? I, I'm not sure that I do. Certainly, I've had times in my life where I have felt both of those feelings in equal measure and it wasn't always immediately apparent, like, which one predominated, but, I, you know. 
I think there's a reason you said that your counselor said that and not like I historically can't tell whether I'm interested in someone or afraid of someone. It feels a little bit like you're still trying out the idea yourself. So I would just encourage you to ask like, does that feel true? Because again, like your counselor then follows it up with I'm following the patterns with men that I was groomed to, which is like a pretty big, intense prospect. But I'm also just like, it seems to me that that's connected with the whole seeing guys on the bus thing. And I don't quite understand how those two things connect because presumably the pattern is not seeing someone attractive on the bus. So I'm wondering if your counselor was saying that like following the patterns means not being attracted to people on buses means you're following. That part confused me. Did that confuse you? Yeah, they seemed like disparate because being attracted to someone on a bus is a different experience than following particular patterns where you're engaging with someone, I think. Um, on a like on not necessarily like a significantly deeper level, but it means that you it suggests to me that there are more interactions taking place other than a random stranger that you're just sort of gazing at from afar. And I'm also kind of wondering, like, one, if the fear and attraction thing does indeed, um, as as you said, resonate with the letter writer, but also if during those moments they go out of their way to process what those feelings are like and to really unpack them or to interrogate them, whether by themselves or um, with a friend. Because I think that can be relatively helpful in terms of trying to name what exactly those patterns are besides what you're being told in, uh, in terms of like that there are patterns in the first place. Yeah, and so just again, like it sounds like that was something that you're counselor suggested and you're still kind of turning it over in your mind to see how much of it you agree with or feel like you want to incorporate into your worldview. And I would just encourage to, you know, think carefully about that and remind yourself that you have a lot of options. I I also tend to be of the mindset that absent like habits that are so destructive that they approach like critical levels of self-harm, like I don't think that it is incumbent upon you or anyone who has suffered abuse to like make sure they never like, you know, oh no, I'm attracted to someone who in some ways might resemble the person or persons who abused me. Like if that makes you horrified or freaked out by all means, like move away from that. But if, if you are not yourself being like actively harmed and you just notice like, yeah, that comes up sometimes for me. Sometimes as an adult with other adults, there are ways in which I'm willing to at least contemplate like eroticizing or reenacting certain like representative elements of my relationship. I mean, I don't mean relationship in the same way, obviously, but but the relationship between my abuser and me, like I want you to feel freedom there. Um, and so that same thing, like, I know trauma doesn't make you a lesbian. I I totally understand where you're coming from with that. But I also want you to feel freedom to say, like, I'm allowed to do what I like with my own trauma. Like, there's no version of you that didn't experience that trauma. You don't have to worry that, like, if who I understand myself to be now doesn't, like, work if I run it through a hypothetical time machine where I was never abused, then that means it's bad or fraudulent or something. Like, I want you to feel really fine if, like, if you wanted to say, you know what? My trauma did make me a lesbian great, fine. 
Like you, you get to incorporate your own past and your own history into your current understanding of yourself as you see fit. That is a good thing. That does not mean that you're saying something dreadful like only people who are traumatized become lesbians because lesbianism is a trauma response. Like, which I think is the fear there, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of hedging going on to make sure that there's not like a great deal of offense made. But I think that maybe denies part of the letter writer's ability to allow their past and their history to to shape who they are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think this all just brings us to that last question, what counts as real attraction? Um, you really get to decide that for yourself. And I hope that doesn't sound like a cop-out, but I would really discourage you from thinking that it is like incumbent upon you to run all of your feelings every day through like a threshing machine and deciding which ones are real and by implication like unaffected by the abuse that you experienced and which ones are fake by which it seems like the fear is like have anything to do with the abuse that you experience like it's real if it feels meaningful to you it's real if you would like to do something about it. It's real if you would like to make that a part of your social life, your romantic life, your community, your schedule. Um, then it's real. Don't I, I would suggest the letter writer do not um, embrace the imposter syndrome of of being queer. Um, instead, I think they should uh, embrace the imposter syndrome of being a writer, like I have to. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, if you think I would like to date women, great. And if you think I would like to call myself a lesbian and date women, great. And if anyone says, hang on, before you can go out with that woman over there, I'm going to need to go inside of your brain and see if you liked kissing your boyfriend in high school. Because if you did, you cannot ask her out. The person is out of their mind and they have no business trying to crawl into yours. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Great. I'm glad you and I are so smart and correct and uh, in unison here. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm glad as well. I love, I love two non-lesbians giving someone permission to be a lesbian. That yes. seems to be a recurring theme lately. Is <laughs> Good for us. You know, we're just, uh, we're just really, we're big fans. We're fans of the lesbian community. We want as many people who would like to join as possible to do so. Yes. Um, and we're just, we're stamping tickets. We're stamping tickets for everyone. And keep those lesbian bars alive, honestly, because it's not looking great. It's not looking great. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Moving on to uh, another, another, you know, sort of related question. So, so many, so many problems have to do with someone asking, what's my relationship to lesbianism? 
<laughs> I would say like 80% of the problems people face have to do with trying to situate themselves in the con. Lesbianism is the main force in the world, I've just decided. And everything else organizes itself around it. This is like Plato discovering the stuff of life. It's like lesbianism and then capitalism. Kinetic energy. And then- oh, sure. <laughs> Simple machines, levers yes. and pulleys and such. Food. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Start with lesbianism at the top. All right. All right. Enough. This is amazing, but I I need to stop or I never will. The subject of our next question is eager to help, not hassle. One of my oldest, closest friends went through a huge life change this last year. After eight years together, they got married in March of 2020. Her partner came out as a trans woman. This was a surprise since she'd only shared any of her questioning with a few very private people. My friend considered herself bisexual long before her partner came out, but had only dated men, and not many people knew this about her. Since coming out, her partner started hormones and gotten facial feminization surgery. She's also accepted a new job in California, far away from family and close friends. This spring, they're planning on having the big wedding they'd had to postpone due to COVID. I'm grateful that for the most part, everyone in both of their lives has been supportive and that they're both in therapy. I want to know how I can best support my friend. I can understand why, given the circumstances, but it does seem like her struggles with these changes have been secondary to her wife's, and I know in about six months, they'll both be moving away from their primary support systems. They're both transitioning away, cute, I see that, they're both transitioning away from a life that for all intents and purposes, to those outside of their relationship, was a regular straight-slash-cis life. Is there anywhere that I can point her that might help? Her situation's fairly unique. What might I not be considering? Any and all thoughts are appreciated. I'm a straight cis woman myself, and though I can read and educate myself, I know I can't possibly understand all the struggles that I might not understand and want to be a help, not a burden, where I can. I found this very sweet, and also like the sort of devolving into word salad at the end was really like (laughs) an indictment of the like, I don't know, personal essay industrial complex where people feel like they have to stress at the beginning, like, I know I can't understand things and it's not your job to explain them to me and it's not your job to educate me and that I'll never understand, but I do need to always try and understand, but I never will. So I'm always approaching understanding, but I'm forever learning, but I won't presume to know and I'm sorry for talking. (laughs) Listening, learning, loving. Yeah, I just really want to like encourage this letter writer to take a breath and relax and like you are asking, you know, how in the overall context of supporting both of them can I support my friend, like, i.e. the person I'm actually in a close relationship with, not like how do I, you know, shove this trans woman out of the way and say there's a cis woman here. We've all got to give her all the attention in the world. Like you are not contemplating a bad or unsupportive or like unally like activity. So I, I hope you can just relax and know like you're not being presumptuous, you're not being bad. You're asking a reasonable, sweet question. Mm-hmm. And congrats to your friends. Yeah. I mean, you know, life's pretty hectic lately, but it's been hectic everywhere. I think that, you know, uh, you know, letter writer, you don't say much about what, if any, struggles your friend has had. So I I think that my first recommendation would simply be to check in with her um, and to ask, like, how is she doing? Because it, you know, I, I, I can understand why this feels like perhaps to you, like, this is such a significant move away from your old life that looked, quote unquote, regular, straight and cis. By the way, I always say that too, like when someone's talking to me about someone and they're asking, like, are they trans like you? I'm always like, no, 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 he's regular. 
um, <laughs> always gets a big laugh. Um, I like calling people regular. I think it's silly. I uh, don't do it all the time. Obviously. I only say it in front of somebody who can handle hearing the word regular mm. instead mm. of sis. Uh, well, I have my frosted mini weeds, so I'm... You're regular. I'm regular. Um, yeah. Sorry. So, no, no, no. I can, so I can understand that, like, perhaps part of what you're thinking is, like, obviously this is so much change away from regularness. There's got to be, like, some big stuff brewing beneath the surface. And I just would like to encourage you to, you know, it may very well be that she's like, this is a goddamn breath of fresh air. You know, like previously, uh, you know, I was thinking about my life and and how it related to my bisexuality in ways that felt very like isolated and hypothetical. And now it feels heady, wonderful, exciting. Can't wait to move to California and just be a different kind of homosexual, um, which I use the word inclusively to mean any and every kind. You know, there's homosexual and there's regular. And both of those words <laughs> mean everything and nothing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she might be feeling great about it. So I, I guess I would just really encourage you, like, check in with her about how she's doing and be really open-minded when you listen to her answer and be prepared to take her at face value. If she doesn't say, like, you know, a lot of it's been good, but I'm also having a really tough time with, like, X, Y, and Z, and I don't know how to talk about it, she might also just come back to you with, like, honestly, give me more. Um, and and I, w- you know, would encourage you to be ready to hear, like, you know, stand by if anything changes, but I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my experience as a uh, quote-unquote regular person um, is, you know, your friends just want to know that you care about them and how they're doing. Just, you know, I think if you have this relationship with both your friend and their um, partner, um, that they'll let you know if you're, like, digging too deep. But it's just like, how are you doing? How are things? They want to know that you care. They want to know that you have, like, a vested interest in their well-being. Um, and if the question is around like support systems, making sure that you're available to them as such, I think is good, a really good first step. Um, and if the person is, uh, if the letter writer is not in California with their friend, um, I, I think, you know, maybe suggesting a couple, a couple of queer bars, maybe so they can, if they can get in touch with like the local community, um, just being generally supportive seems like a, a good first step. Yeah. And again, like just asking that question because I don't have like a, you know, a one size fits all uh, response just because not everyone's going to have a heart. Like lots of people, you know, do great when their partner transitions. Um, and so I just, I can't presume like, you know, you don't say much about what her struggles have been. If If you mean just like she would like another outlet where she can sometimes talk about things that are difficult for her that feel good to her partner. And she wants a place where she can kind of like, you know, work through that where she doesn't also have to, you know, prioritize her partner's feelings. Uh, you know, I would, I don't know that P flag is going to be super useful just because that can vary so much from like region to region and city to city. They're often just like kind of like franchise projects where like anybody can start a PFLAG chapter so they can vary really wildly. And I know the Straight Spouses Network is like a big fat no. Um, but, you know, my guess is if they're moving to even a medium-sized city in California, they will be not too far from an LGBT center. I, you know, big grain of salt, you know, if they're moving to someplace like along the 395, maybe not. But you know, if there's an LGBT center within a hundred or so miles, often they have support groups for trans people. Often they also have support groups for partners of trans people. And that might be a lovely place to go talk about like whatever difficulties she might be having adjusting to her partner's transition where she doesn't have to worry about like 
am I taking up, you know, too much space? The 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 greatest fear of 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 all lesbian adjacent people. Um, how much space am I taking up? Uh, could I displace an aquarium right now? It sounds like a speculative fiction, honestly. Too much space. Too much space. Um, yeah, so that might be a potential resource for her. But beyond that, like, is she struggling? And if so, what does that struggling look like? And if so, what changes does she struggle with? And do you mean struggling with in the sense of like, I am really, really unhappy, but I worry that it would be impolite to, you know, potentially leave my partner while she's transitioning? Or is it like we're occasionally like squabbling over new things and I don't really know how to make an adjustment, but it's relatively low scale. Like those are just such different possibilities that it's like, again, like curiosity and questioning would be useful there. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are just struggling because it's like, well, I've changed a little bit. Uh, I don't know how to, you know, think about all that. And sometimes they're struggling in the sense of like, I'm not happy, but I'm not saying anything because I'm hoping that my feelings will all change tomorrow. So yeah, again, just like there's such a wide variety of of outcomes there. I would just say like, ask your friend. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious as to like, to what degree the letter writer is integrated into their friend's life and vice versa. Because I think um, if they are like healthily integrated, um, I think it would make those conversations possibly a little easier because you have that existing dynamic and that existing rapport. Yeah, I mean, you know, her situation is fairly unique, kind of, but like not that unique. You know, when did my husband Betty come out? Don't read that, by the way. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. But that was what, like 2002? Like there's been conversations about like previously, you know, quote unquote straight women uh, whose Mm -hmm. partners transition like within a marriage context. Like she's not alone. You know, pick up a copy of when is she's not there? When it when it Jenny Boylan right? She's not there. Two thousand five, two thousand six. Like it's out there, right? Right. And I mean, there are lo- loads of documentaries at this point as well. I mean, don't watch a documentary about your own marriage. You know, like I, I like that's <laughs> that such is a, true. That is true. To me, that's up there with like the whole send someone an article in lieu of having a conversation style of engagement, which is just like, oh, so you've given up, huh? You've given <laughs> up on this relationship. Read this instead of talking to me. Um, Communication is important. Yeah, don't <laughs> read or watch it. anything. Apparently, is my advice. Um, I, this is okay. I, I I would like to get off the the, the sassiness train. Um, one of the things I think that interests me here is like my friend is bisexual. Not a lot of people knew this about her. And in fact, before her partner transitioned, a lot of this was really sort of like hypothetical or kept in isolation. And now her partner has transitioned. And then you say like, she's struggling. The way that you framed this, it kind of sounds like her problem has been solved. So Mm. I'm a little curious, like maybe just this is a question of like how you started to describe this situation, but like it, it strikes me as a little like, isn't this actually great? Right. Right. Isn't this like kind of solving, not that it, it is a problem to be solved, but isn't this like offering like another avenue through which this person can explore their identity that they been sort of quietly thinking about anyways. Yeah. And I wonder 
if, and again, like letter writer, I don't want to be like hard on you for, you know, having an understanding or a reaction that lots and lots and lots of cis people have. Um, but I wonder if the reason that you have like created a setup where seemingly the next line is going to be, isn't this great? And instead it's like, this is kind of challenging, um, is because sometimes, um, People who have previously thought of their queerness as something that existed in a really unmediated way, um, that was something that they mostly just like held close to their chest and had full imaginative control over, moves into the world in a more realized and practical and daily way. There can be a sort of strange sense of disappointment disillusionment of, I didn't think of myself as being attached to a certain form of closetedness, but one of the things that I now realize it was doing for me was giving me a sense of total control over a situation where now there are other people and other interests um, and other communities at play and who also have desires and plans. Um, and, And so I wonder if that was part of why you like described a setup that seemingly would have ended with great news. Um, as there are some struggles. And so I'm just, you know, again, like be open to that possibility, which is not to say go to your friend and say like, I I bet if you're struggling right now, it's because you used to love being closeted and now you can't control everyone around you. I don't, I don't mean to encourage that at all. But, you know, I think it is interesting if you reread your own letter with that sort of lens, like does any of that ring true? Sometimes, especially if there's been a relationship where like historically she got to think, your friend I mean, got to think of herself as the only queer woman in that relationship, people can sometimes get a little territorial about that. Um, And they can do that while also being generally like loving and accepting and non-transphobic. So I don't want you to feel like your friend is being accused of something hateful. But, you know, I think that kind of goes actually hand in hand a little bit with what we saw in that first question where sometimes people get a little bit like weirdly rigid or purity testing around lesbianism and if and again like you can pick this up anywhere this is not like oh where did you get this idea like it's around but this idea that like especially certain types of queer womanhood are like especially indicators of like innate goodness the idea of expanding that category to include somebody that you previously didn't think you had to can be challenging or daunting for some people and um that might be part of what's at play here as well and so then again like it is always difficult and uncomfortable to say, have I been attached to something that if I were to say it out loud would be seemingly at odds with some of my values that makes me feel defensive and uncomfortable. I would like to push that away. And I would encourage both you and your friend, if as you consider these things, anything comes up that does make you feel initially a little defensive or uncomfortable to not feel like that is a final uh, verdict on whether or not you are like a good or like a supportive or a like trans supporting person. Um, those are not the final value judgments about you if those are some experiences that you have had. But they are worth examining, I think, because when when one doesn't, if they are there and one simply says, like, no, they're not, sometimes the way that that plays out is by being really weird to trans people, especially trans yeah. women. And I'm mm-hmm. always looking for ways to cut down on being weird to trans people if possible. Yes. There's, I think there's also potential for the friendship to deepen here as well. Yeah. And of course, like they're moving to California. You're going to miss them. I would say the last thing is like also, you know, 
say like, let's maybe set up like a monthly phone call or something that doesn't feel so mm-hmm. regular that you're like, oh my God, like I have to add this to an already overwhelmed plate. But like try to establish some way that you can check in with one another so that, you know, you can keep in touch. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After a solid like 40 minutes of adjudicating womanhood, how are you? What's going on in your life? I'm great. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I've been writing a little bit here and there. Um, I just, uh, I'm also preparing for a birthday party because my birthday is at the end of the month and Danny is going to be in it. Danny is going to be in my birthday party, which is so, so exciting Um, because for my birthdays, I do these um, drunk table reads of scripts and plays and musicals. And this year we are doing Stephen Sondheim's Follies and we're doing it in a church. And I'm so, so excited. I'm so um, hyped. I, I mean, I have, first of all, I've never been invited to like participate in such a, you know, over the top birthday production before. So I'm thrilled about that. <laughs> um, I've also been sober long enough that the idea of being sober while people around me are doing a drunken table read of Sondheim sounds great rather than challenging like oh yeah I'm gonna have a blast um and I can oh, also be my like, apologies I I should have checked with you I you know you, you made it very clear that drunkenness was not mandatory <laughs> you didn't you didn't <laughs> uh put any undue pressure I promise you were not like standing outside outside in the parking lot like yelling at me to to chug anything I felt zero pressure <laughs> Um, you're, you're, I absolve thee. I, we're going to be in a church, so I'll absolve you again there. Okay. But okay. Just okay. so you know, I just am so excited. Um, and you know, between this and the fact that uh, today uh, somebody named a recipe after me, I'm just I'm living exactly the kind of life I was meant to live. Which is dreams just do come true. Raconteur, going to table reads, <laughs> getting recipes named after me. This is it. I, I, you know, all I need now is to get my photograph in one Italian restaurant with checkered tablecloths. And then I can retire. Yes. I will have achieved everything I ever set out to do. Is it a photograph or is it um, a drawing? Like, a, oh gosh, what are those things called? Uh, a caricature. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would absolutely love those like austere but slightly exaggerated like line drawings. I would happily take that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just a big blown up, pix- slightly pixelated as a result of being blown up too much picture of me with my arm around like the guy who runs the restaurant. And you're like, who's that guy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that's that's all I want. I guess one of my dreams sort of adjacent to that is to have also a pixelated um, photo of myself, but at my laundromat. Brilliant. Brilliant. I want that for you as well. I think you can make that happen. I think, you know, it it can't be that hard to be the most memorable laundromat customer because it's not usually a place where people go to, like, put their personalities on full display. Right, right. But you would be surprised. There is there is um, an episode of Friends where Joey is 
um, very mad because he wants, he's on a TV show and he wants his headshot at a laundromat specifically. Not a restaurant, not a pizza place, a laundromat. I'm so, so glad that you started a sentence with, don't worry, there's an episode of Friends. Um, and, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm famously a Friends apologist. <laughs> famously. Um, when did you first start having big birthday productions? This has been very much on my mind because I wrote today about the idea of like sometimes the first glimmering of knowing you're gay is just having like intense and like unmerited delusions of grandeur. Or like designs of social climbing, <laughs> even though you live in like a featureless exurb where there's no society to climb at all. So it's like you're having a fever dream of a fever dream because you're imagining both the ability to social climb and a society that's possible to climb into. Um, so uh, I'm I'm very curious to know when did this start for you? Um, I kind of wish I had the idea much earlier before I came out because that is a really beautiful fever dream of a fever dream. I love a little. Russian egg of a concept. Um, but the reality is that I started doing them when I first moved to New York. Um, I moved in November 2016, so my first birthday was in February 2017. And I did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Bless you. Yep. I um, have never been one to not go big or go home. It's it, it. We've done Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Sondheim's Company and clue and chicago and i think this might be the last one that i do but it's been so much fun being able to get all of my friends together uh to do a little impromptu show basically very informal and lots of fun and they are ultimately very elaborate excuses to get people that i love in the same room and to perform for your benefit so that you can clap your hands like a spoiled dauphin and say more <laughs> more more, more, court gestures. More friends, but, more allies. Hang but, those who talk of less. <laughs> but I am also performing, so I will also be clapping for myself. I will be taking a little bit of the spotlight, but of only course. only a little bit. I don't usually like to give myself a lead role. So humble, so humble, and yet such a star. Are you gonna Are you gonna wear a, a cowboy hat for the party for Follies? Does that feel appropriate? I feel like maybe a busted up. Um, Top hat would be more appropriate. Technically more appropriate, but now just imagine you doing country music. Kyle, all you ever had to do was ask. I will go full country for you. <laughs> I will show up in a Canadian tuxedo and a 10-gallon hat. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. Um, I am so, so, so grateful to you and that you are not a golem. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun, and I have loved your writing for a long time and I've loved your work and you're doing I, the, the incredible insight and care that you put into every response. I'm just always in awe. I mean, I uh, feel very privileged to have been able to join you for a little bit of that. Thank you so, so much. And, uh, you know, don't forget now my, my greatest work is that uh, Helen Rosner named a duck recipe after me, <laughs> even though I really want to stress the part that I added to it was that I said, why don't we shred the duck and put it on the salad? It wasn't like I was like, let me show you how to cook a duck. She'd already cooked the ducks. So it was, in fact, an act of incredible generosity for her to name it after me when my contribution was solely, well, let's put it on top of the salad. It'll warm the salad up. Now I have to have that duck salad. It's good. The recipe's online. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. It is a difficult road to walk when it's both like, I, on the one hand, feel like angry and justified in my anger. And I know that I could hurt my terrible ex further by outing him, which is tempting, even though it goes against my values. That's hard on its own. And then on the other side, I'm angry at somebody who hurt me. And if he had cheated on me with a woman, I believe that most people would respond with, I'm so sorry, you have been hurt. Here is some sympathy. Here is some support. But Mm -hmm. because I don't want to out him, I'm not able to access that. And so I also feel cheated of something after having been cheated on. Um, And that's, you know, those are both two difficult situations and you're in both of them at the same time. And I'm sorry. I do still think it's important and necessary to walk that line. Um, but I also just really get like that's a tough place to be in. One of the few pleasures of being cheated on is that you can, you know, go full country song and just, you know, tell people and say, doesn't that suck? And they say, yes, that sucks. What a jerk. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.